Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor. Happy to be here. Um, will someone give me warnings on the time? I will. Okay, I will. Well, thank you. Maybe when there's like 10 minutes left and one minute left or something. I appreciate it. Oh, so I'm happy to be here. I do just want to say first that I'm totally nervous to speak because I came in um, and heard the other speakers who have just so shared so much wisdom and, um, you know, just having a lot more time in the program than me. And um, I'm feeling really like humbled to share following the speakers that have already shared. Um, You know, and there's that little disease voice that's telling me, oh, you don't have what to share or, you know, your share won't be as good as other people's and just things like that. And um, just trying to connect to the idea that if I was asked to speak, then my higher power wants me to speak, you know, Um, and all I can share is my experience. And I do want to like deliver a powerful message, you know, but at the end of the day, like when I put my head on the pillow tonight, um, I just want to know that I told the truth, you know, that's really all that matters in a qualification of any kind. So, um, yeah, I just hope I tell the truth in this share and, um, inviting my higher power in to speak through me. Um, I'll start off by saying my abstinence date is, uh, May 9th of 2012. So I have a little over nine years of abstinence by the grace of higher power. Um, I got abstinent pretty young um, and I'm just really grateful to have been able to do things like college and currently in grad school and get married and all these things while being in program and being abstinent. So very grateful for all that. Um, I know this is primarily on six and seven, which is what I'll talk about, but I'll just talk for a couple minutes about my story, um, which is that I, you know, without going into the food throughout my whole life, but just to give a snapshot, like what it looked like for me right at the end before coming into program in regards to the food and my eating disorder was a lot of binging. I always felt most powerless over the binging. And then I did all sorts of other like eating disordered behaviors to try and not gain weight, counteract the things I was doing. So there was purging, there was restriction, there was overusing laxatives, um, all sorts of other things. Um, But again, I always felt most powerless over the binging. The binging was the thing that I would like try with all my might to not do and then just find myself doing it anyways and not understanding how that happened, you know? Um, And so I was doing a lot of binging. Um, I was living in New York City and I was there we call the corner stores bodegas. So I was going like from one bodega to the next, to the next, to the next, so that, you know, the person behind the counter, like wouldn't know how much I was eating. Um, I was hiding wrappers at the bottom of the garbage can. Um, I was like hiding food from myself in my own home and then like climbing on the counters in the middle of the night um, to find the food that I hid from myself. I was taking food out of the trash can, um, all sorts of things and um, feeling a lot of shame, a lot of shame about it all. Um, and the way my story happened was that, um, I actually started off at another 12 step fellowship, um, for other behaviors. And, um, you know, I found myself in 12 step rooms and 
you know, got, you know, stopped that behavior. Um, and for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by people who were talking about love and spirituality and God and freedom and recovery and joy and all these wonderful things that people in 12-step programs talk about. And I was sitting in meetings, sitting in a circle and people were sharing about that. And I was thinking, what does my stomach look like in these pants? Uh, what does that person think I look like right now? What am I gonna eat for dinner? What bodega is on the way home that I'm gonna stop at? If I go to the bathroom and purge right now and turn the sink on, is anyone gonna hear me, right? Just obsession around food and body and weight and food and body and weight. And so um, what that kind of showed me was that I wasn't experiencing the freedom that 12-step fellowships promise and bring because of my eating disorder, right? So even though I had put down some other things, I was still actively in obsession and compulsion. Um, and I wasn't experiencing the promises and I wasn't experiencing freedom. And so I joined OA within six months of joining the other fellowship. And I consider OA to be my, like my primary fellowship. Um, and I will say that hands down, the greatest gift that OA has given me has been freedom from obsession, which some other people have shared about today already, you know? Like, it's really nice to be a healthy body weight for a long time. Um, it's nice to have experienced lots of things without being kind of glazed over by the food and eating disordered behaviors. Um, but hands down, freedom from obsession is like the greatest gift. And what I mean by that is like, going to a party, let's say, and not like seeing food and sitting on my hands and like white knuckling, like holding myself back from eating food but not even noticing it, like seeing a table of food and like barely paying attention to it or like, you know, like kids play with like plastic food, like seeing food and almost putting it in that category. Like it's just plastic, like it's just not my food, you know, like just not having any pull towards it. Um, and same thing with like just weight, obsession around weight and obsession around what I look like, like just having that go down so much, you know? So for any newcomers here, before I get into steps, six and seven, um, OA has completely changed my life um, and given me freedom from obsession, which was so painful before coming into program. Um, and um, I don't know, like I've just, because of the freedom from obsession, I've been able to do all this stuff. Like I said before, like go to college, and get married and have a relationship and have friendships and just do all sorts of things that like people do. Uh, which I had a really hard time doing before coming into program. So this stuff really works. Um, it really, it really works for me. It really has worked for me and continues to work for me. And I'm so, so grateful. Um, some other people have mentioned like outside help and things in previous shares today. And I just kind of want to plug that as well. The way I look at it is like, um, first of all, I went to the food for a reason. I self-medicated for a reason, you know, like there's stuff underneath. Um, and I kind of look at my recovery as like a bunch of tools in a toolbox, you know, like I have a toolbox and there's a bunch of stuff, there's meetings, there's, you know, the tools of OA, there's sponsorship, you know, all sorts of service. Um, and there's also some outside help stuff that's in that toolbox, you know, that's like equally as important for me um, to reach for sometimes and to rely on at any given time. So um, just kind of want to, want to plug that there are things there are lots of things that I get from OA that I actually cannot get 
from like outside help sorts of things. And then there are things that I get from outside help that I can't quite get from an OA meeting because I'm not intended to, you know, because that's not what this is for. So um, they can kind of work together, I find really beautifully. Um, and outside help can kind of support my relationship with myself and my higher power and vice versa. So just wanted to say that and um, to newcomers or people struggling, like if, you know, if any of this stuff doesn't make sense, like just keep coming back. And someone else mentioned the steps are in order for a reason. Like you don't do six and seven, <laughs> like first, you know, like first you do step one and then you have a relationship with a higher power and you learn how to lean on that higher power before you start delving into like, you know, resentments and fears and all that. Um, and then you get to experience the freedom of a fifth step before you work on character defects and turn those over to a higher power. So um, they're in order for a reason and just keep coming back if you're new. So that's kind of my beginnings in a nutshell. Um, and I'll talk about steps six and seven. So I will say that the beginning of my program and the first round of steps that I did um, were very checklisty. Um, and what I mean by that is I engaged with the tools in the beginning in a very checklisty format. Like my sponsor told me to make three calls a day. So I made three calls a day, check, 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 go to a certain amount of meetings a week, check, check, check. And even my step work fell kind of in that sort of category. I'm a very just like type A sort of intellectual person. And so um, I was just focusing on like following directions and like being a good sponsee and, you know, writing the prompts that my sponsor suggested. And the first time I worked um, steps six and seven, um, it was kind of like that. So the way I did it, and this is just my experience, my sponsor suggested I first write a list of all the character defects that I felt like I had. A lot of them came from my fourth step um, that my sponsor pointed out in my fifth step. Not all of them, but some of them, a lot of them. And then she had me write the definitions of all those character defects. And then she had me write at least one instance where that character defect like harmed somebody else. Um, I think it might've been harmed myself or somebody else, but I remember specifically writing the ones that harmed other people. Like that was kind of a cool thing to see, like how my defects really impacted others. Um, and then she had me write like where, where I was blocking God out with those character defects. And then I remember we sat, um, it was a meeting in Manhattan. Um, I think it was a Thursday night meeting church on the Upper East Side. And we like went to the back and we got on our knees together and we said the prayer. That's what I recall from the first time working step six and seven. I think that I internalized them to the extent that I was able to internalize them at that time, you know? Um, and some other people have shared on that already today. Like things get revealed to us when we're ready to have them revealed, you know? And we work on things when we're ready to work on them. And in the beginning, um, I don't think I had the capacity to like really internalize in a very authentic, like open-hearted way, all of the defects. It was more like, I was doing a homework assignment, you know? That's kind of what it felt like. Um, and you know what? It kept me abstinent. Following those directions and doing things in that way kept me abstinent and it kept me going. Um, and I was, I didn't really plan for what I was gonna say today, but I did reread the chapters um, on step six and seven in the OA 12 and 12 earlier today. 
And one specific paragraph, a bunch of things like stood out to me, but one specific paragraph um, struck me. And so I'm gonna read that now. Um, this is in the, it's the first edition of the 12 and 12. So the wording might be a little different than um, the current version, but on this version, it's on page 63, it's in step seven. And it says, can we now expect to miraculously become perfect beings? Perhaps not. In fact, as we continue with the 12 steps, we will almost certainly discover defects we did not see during the house cleaning we undertook in steps four through seven. Humility means that we will no longer be shocked and horrified when we realize we have yet another defect. We begin with the premise that there could be many things about us which need to change, only some of which we're able to see at any given time. In God's time, when God knows we're ready, we will be given new insights into our true defects of character. We will, that is, if we are honestly working our program. When this happens, we apply the principles of the program, including those of steps six and seven. We fully acknowledge and accept the shortcomings as belonging to us. We then examine our motives and the effect this problem is having on our lives until we are sure we're ready to let, to let go of it. We acknowledge our powerlessness to remove the defect ourselves and humbly ask God to take it from us. Then we get up and go on with life in a new frame of mind, knowing that God will indeed remove the shortcoming. And so the reason why that struck me is because um, what's kind of been happening with me in my program for the last, I would say, maybe like two years has been a process of moving my recovery from my head to my heart. Um, and it's actually been really difficult for me and really painful. And I feel like a baby. I feel like a newcomer. I feel like I'm in a whole new level of recovery in these last two years. And I would say, especially this last year. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it was very checklisty for me um, for a long time. And it was exactly what I was able to do at the time I was able to do it and it kept me abstinent and it kept me chugging along and I worked steps and I had sponsees and all of that happened. And I got freedom. I got freedom from obsession. Um, I got freedom from a lot of things, but I was still blocked. And the way that that showed up for me um, was mostly actually through things like meditation. So I found that even though I was working the steps um, and doing all the stuff, when I would try and meditate, I felt like there were fire ants crawling all over my body. And I don't know if other people can relate to this, but it was so viscerally uncomfortable to like have this authentic connection with myself, to actually sit with myself and like in an open-hearted way, like really just, I don't even know the word, just be present, like be emotionally present with myself. Um, and so it came up in things like meditation and it is strongly linked to my program because um, if I'm not able to be present and connected with myself, I'm not able to be present and connected with my higher power because it's one and the same for me. It really is. My higher power is like, it's morphed over the years, but it's in me. Like it's that little intuitive voice inside myself. And so if I can't get in contact with that, then I'm not living in alignment with the higher power. That's just my- You have 10 minutes left. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and so what I've been realizing 
over the last two years. And it actually started with getting married. Um, I wonder if others can relate to this as well, where I suddenly have somebody who is reflecting back a lot of these things to me. Um, it is affecting other my spouse. It's affecting the person that I'm living with. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, my husband would um, like bid for emotional connection and emotional intimacy. And it felt so scary to me, you know, and it felt like painful and uncomfortable and just like icky. Um, and so I realized about two ish years ago that I wasn't living like authentically with myself. Um, and so I've been on the journey these last two years to, like I said, move my recovery and just everything, just how I interact with myself, how I interact with other people, how I interact with my higher power, like moving it all from my head to my heart. Um, and so what that's looked like with six and seven is being confronted with um, character defects in a whole new way, um, in a way that I'm actually internalizing how they affect me, internalizing how they affect my spouse. So just to name some of the defects that have been coming up to be vulnerable in this talk and thing, it's like, um, you know, this, this like um, disembodiment and like being aloof and um, being not present, um, getting very defensive, um, when anything is brought to me about some of this stuff and some other stuff, um, wanting to like point fingers when a defect is pointed out to me. Um, and what I'm realizing is, and I'll actually backtrack a second because it's connected and say that um, when I did my fourth and fifth step for the first time, I had um, a crazy like spiritual experience where I realized that I could play a part and be harmed at the same time. It like blew my mind when I realized that because before program, it was one or the other, either for me, for me, I'm a victim um, or I'm the biggest piece of crap and I should like hide under a rock and never look at daylight because I'm such a bad person, you know? And it was really cool to see that like, oh, like I could actually own the fact that I've been harmed and also play a part at the same time. And that's kind of been showing up in like six and seven in the same way in the sense that like this, this defensiveness that I have in me that wants to like point a finger and then not look at my own stuff. It's like, both can be true, you know, especially with like a spouse and things like that. Like there could be a dynamic where two people are playing a part and two people's defects are interacting with each other, you know? Um, and my partner might have a part in stuff and I have a part in stuff, you know? And it's my job to look at my part in stuff. Um, so that's kind of been, been coming up a lot too. So there's, you know, the defensiveness and, um, guardedness and disembodiment and all that sort of stuff that I've been internalizing in a new, in a new way. And what that's looked like is um, relying on some outside help. First of all, I've people mentioned trauma. A lot of this is, you know, laced with trauma um, and having a look at some of that stuff. And then within program, it's been like first having the awareness um, in a deeper way and not judging myself. There's a sentence in, I think it was in one of these chapters, but it said something like recognizing that I'm causing harm, but I am not bad or recognizing that there's a shortcoming, but I'm not the shortcoming, you know, that I'm doing something quote unquote wrong, but I'm not wrong, right? Like having that sort of distance. Um, 
and being able to see things as they come up and not like internalizing them and and making it as if like I am a bad person, but just kind of seeing it in a right-sized way. Um, and like, I'm sure people who have been in program a lot longer can speak much more on this than me, but I'm just starting to realize that this is like a lifelong thing. Like I'm sure this moving from my head to my heart or however you want to say, peeling back layers of the onion, more being revealed, going deeper, all that stuff, I'm sure will continue to just happen throughout my life. I hope that in five years, if I speak on step six and seven, it will sound different than what it does right now. You know what I mean? Like I want it to keep sort of evolving in that way. Um, five minutes left. Perfect. Thank you. Um, but it's been, it's been really uncomfortable. It's been a hard year with this stuff. You know, um, it's hard to internalize defects, not just to write them down on a paper with their definition and say a prayer but like actually look inward and actually like come to like have this connection with them and recognize them and name them. And then, you know, it's, I, I know we are not responsible for removing the defects. Like that's the whole point of step seven, that higher power removes the defects in God's time and higher power's time. Um, and yet we still do our work and put one foot in front of the other, you know, um, I think there was another paragraph that I got refreshed on today that said something I'm paraphrasing, but like, does that mean we just sit back and like throw our hands up and say like, oh, higher power will remove it like in God's time. No, you know, like we continue to, we do the work and then also higher power removes the defect in higher powers time. Um, and I'll say that doing this work in a more authentic way in this last year or two, um, I've seen a different layer of freedom um, and it's interesting because about two years ago when I started kind of realizing all this stuff I got really frustrated and angry and like really like there's more shit like I have to keep doing this like there's more stuff like I'm working so hard I'm young I'm like doing all this stuff um, and it was actually my husband who's also in 12-step program um, who said to me how about instead of looking at it like there's more work to be done, look at it as there's more freedom to be had. You know, there's more freedom to be had. What would it look like, Rachel, to show up in the world with less guardedness, with less distance, right? With more open-heartedness, with more authenticity, with less whatever the defects are, right? With less self-consciousness, self-centeredness, selfishness, fear, right? Like, oh, what else do I have going on? <laughs> so many competitiveness, wanting to be the best, just all this stuff. Like, what would it look like to show up in this world without that, you know, or with less of that? Um, more freedom to be had, you know, instead of just more work to be done. And I have been seeing a new level of freedom. I have, it's been um, easier to sit with uncomfortability for me in meditation. Um, and I've noticed in different interactions that there's less of that like self-conscious aspect of me where I'm kind of like watching my interactions with people, you know, but I'm actually more present for them. I feel more like a channel of my higher power. My sponsor always says, um, we can try and be like a, you know, people say an instrument of your higher power. She always says, be like a flute. 
um, because a flute is just like a straight shot, you know, it doesn't like go through all these other things in an instrument, like just a direct channel. Um, and my, my like work life is in, um, you know, an area of like interpersonal service as well. Um, and so I get to kind of practice this stuff with, you know, people all the time, day to day in my work, in addition to just with people on the street and with sponsees and all that. So um, I think I'll start wrapping up in my last few minutes and just say that um, there's just always more layers, you know, and like, this is my current relationship with step six and seven, and it looks really different than it did five years ago. Um, and it's more messy, um, less textbooky, less That's like one minute. Thank you. I can't like say it super cleanly and like tie it with a bow and like give a recipe for how to do it. You know, it just feels like more messy and yet more authentic, you know, and more real. Um, and so that's kind of my relationship with six and seven. Now I'm really grateful to have been asked to speak here again. I feel really humbled speaking after, you know, old timers who have lots more experience than me, but I can't wait to hear from y'all and I'll keep sticking it out for the day. This has been a wonderful um, retreat, workshop, whatever it is. And thank you everybody who is doing service and put this all together. And thanks for letting me share.